Welcome into the Cyclone Scoop, everybody. Alex Halstead here with you. I'm sitting in the north end zone of Jack Trice Stadium. Just got done talking to Matt Campbell for the final time here in fall camp. And uh, I'm joined by Dylan Mont of the Ames Tribune. And uh, Dylan, we just wrapped up fall camp. And uh, about a week from now, we'll be sitting in here writing our postgame stories against Northern Iowa. So it's, it's good to finally have the football season right around the corner. Yeah, sometimes in preseason camp, it's a little tough because you go and you talk to all the position coaches and the players, which is great. And it's nice to get those updates. But at some point, you're ready to ch- kind of just get into the season and get into the, the routine of going to games and, and actually learning something and seeing something. So the, the fact that we're a week out is, is a welcome sight for sure. The season will be here soon, but the purpose of this episode uh, of the Cyclone Scoop is actually to kind of look about, look at what we've learned here in the last month or so. Iowa State is going to go into game week next week. We're talking uh, here on Friday, the week before uh, week one, and uh, there's going to be plenty to talk about again about Northern Iowa next week, but uh, I wanted to kind of look through fall camp. What did we learn, if anything, Um, and then we'll take a little bit of a look ahead in this episode towards the end. Uh, ahead to the 2019 season but let's start with what we learned here in fall camp and Iowa State entered camp and we got the depth chart back in July and there were either ors at running back uh, tight end wide receiver a few on defense specifically safety Um, we learned a little bit about those positions let's start with running back I think that field is narrowed down even if Matt Campbell won't won't tell us uh, who's there but what what are your thoughts about what we've kind of learned at running back in the last few weeks yeah, we, we talked to Tom Manning, the offensive coordinator, less than a week ago, and at that point he was still kind of saying it's a five-man race. We haven't eliminated anybody. It's still kind of anybody's game. And then you you listen to Matt Campbell talk, and he didn't say definitively this is going to be the starter. Here's how the rotation is going to go or anything like that. But you could kind of glean maybe a little bit that Johnny Lang and Brees Hall not not have necessarily separated themselves, but uh, uh, maybe you're the first that come to mind or the, the ready-made guys that can go in and, and maybe get the first couple reps in game one. And Kanena Wongu could be in that mix as well. It sounded like he's been a little dinged up lately with a hamstring injury, but um, I, I'd say those guys are probably your first group. And then Sheldon Crony's in there as well a little bit. And then uh, Jirel Brock, the true freshman who got in this, this summer, he, he's in the mix as well, although not not maybe at the same level as a Johnny Lang or a Brees Hall. So I, I feel like it breaks down like that. But again, uh, he, he didn't say definitively this is the guy, but that's kind of if you read between the lines or, or listen a little bit, I think that's kind of maybe the direction they're going to go. Entering fall camp, you know, like you said, they, they would call it a five-man race, and I think it was pretty wide open. They were willing to give guys shots. It sounded like the first scrimmage, which was about a week in, the ones were mostly Kane Nwangwu and Johnny Lang, and the word out of that scrimmage was that Kane had, you know, got dinged up. Matt Campbell confirmed for us um, today that uh, he did have a hamstring injury that sounds like has kept him out for probably a few weeks because it's been since that first scrimmage. He's going to be fine going into game week, Campbell said, but I think that's probably put him behind. And like you said, if you read between the lines, the first two names out of his mouth were Johnny Lang and Brees Hall. And I think by all accounts, those two guys have been running with the ones the most here um, in the last you know few weeks and so the big thing at running back is you know who starts but I don't know if that matters all that much they could start Johnny Lang and Brees Hall could be the guy with the most carries by the end of the Northern Iowa game and Matt Campbell told us today this might take a few weeks because I think it's possible that you know they give some different guys carries and it looks different in a game than it does in practice so I think it is narrowed down but I think it could take Northern Iowa the bye week maybe even into Iowa 
or through non-conference play. But I think by the time they get to the Big 12 play and into that Baylor game at the end of September, you want to have an idea because I think Campbell definitely doesn't want to go by committee still, you know, from the sounds of it. I think they're starting to get away from that, but I don't know if they know who their feature back's going to be for sure. Although I think Brees Hall is probably the guy they'd like to see continue to emerge at that. But I think it's important to remember he's a true freshman and maybe he can run well and can catch well, but I think his pass protection and that sort of stuff has to still come along and I don't think they want to rush him too early. Matt Campbell likes to say that he'd rather play a guy too late than too early. And I think that's one way that we could see them be cautious with Brees Hall, but I think Brees Hall is the name that you know fans should probably keep an eye on. And he was helped out by obviously getting here for the spring semester too and going through spring practices and, and having all those reps I think is invaluable. And Jirel Brock uh, got here a few weeks before the, the rest of the freshman class this summer. But for him, he's obviously, you know, it was a highly touted recruit to a, a top 10 running back nationally, according to 24-7. So I, I think there's there's potential there. But again, it, it's kind of a crowded room and he's he was the last guy in. So uh, I, I do think you'll see him at least a little bit that redshirt rule can kind of help you get in and get a few reps there. Um, but as far as him factoring in, at least right now, uh, to be the feature back for the whole season, I, I don't see that. I think it would probably, ultimately it'll be Brees Hall this year. Um, but, but like you said, I think early in the season, these first few games, um, you'll see kind of not necessarily a scheduled rotation, but I think you'll see a lot of faces in the backfield with Purdy. Yeah, I'm probably, it's it's probably my fault on this, but I think, you know, going into camp, I kind of gave Sheldon Crony a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because when you listen to Matt Campbell, and like you said, sometimes you have to read between the lines with him. When you would listen, he would say, this guy's got to be a complete back. He's got to block, he's got to catch, and he's got to be able to run. Well, we saw Crony kind of become the, the pass catcher out of the backfield, even more than Montgomery last year. And Campbell's always called him the most complete back. And so I kind of almost gave him the edge. But I think I didn't maybe listen enough to – what Campbell had been saying here in recent months about Johnny Lang. And I think he's a guy that's also emerged and maybe he gets forgotten a little bit because his first year he plays against Northern Iowa. And then I think he had his knee scoped uh, last year. I think he got banged up a little bit and I think he he's kind of a little guy, but he's shifty and, and uh, U.S. Tom Manning this, he's agile. That's something they look for in the running back. And I think I kind of, you know, maybe pushed up Crony a little bit because of my prior knowledge of him, but maybe didn't think about uh, Johnny Lang enough because just because he hasn't produced a ton and he's been hurt and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I was probably in the same camp as well. Even even in recent weeks, I thought Sheldon Crony might still be the guy and that they would lean on experience a little bit this early part of the season just as they, they work in the younger guys. Because even Johnny Lang, he, as a redshirt sophomore, he's still – you know, relatively young because of the time he missed and, and things like that. But, um, you know, you, you, in the backfield, in a spy like that, agility, like you said, is important. You got to be able to trust the guy to hold on to the ball. So uh, I think I don't necessarily think you can go wrong with Johnny Lang, at least to start the year, because I, I do think he's talented and he's had some things he's had to go through health wise uh, to get to this point. But I think he's certainly capable, and just the knock on him is his size, but he can also use that to his advantage too and, and be able to get away from guys. So it's going to be interesting when they get to the season opener who runs out there first. But again, I think, like you said, um, who ends up getting the volume carries is going to kind of be dictated on how things go the first few weeks. Yeah, the biggest thing with Wang's size is he's got to be able to take the hits and stay healthy because so far he hasn't stayed healthy in his career. One thing I wanted to say, and then we'll move on to these other positions, when I was thinking about this, when it started sounding like Johnny Lang was starting to emerge, I thought back to when we were at Big 12 Media Days and we talked to Campbell, and this was his quote about um, Johnny Lang at Big 12 Media Days. He said, 
Johnny has been the one guy that's going to be the most fun to watch and see because he's finally healthy. He's a guy that when called upon last year in some critical moments, especially the second half against Baylor, stepped up and made some huge plays for us. And then this is the main part that kind of brought me back to what we were just discussing is, uh, quote, he's got some of those complete back tendencies, can catch the ball of the backfield, strong at the block point, but also has some elite vision at tailback. And that's one of the things you've heard behind the scenes is that his vision is really good. And so I think that's what's going to maybe allow him to be the guy. And against Northern Iowa, Brees Hall, Johnny Lang, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think they've got a lot more confidence um, than it just being this willy-nilly five-man competition that nobody's stepping up in. So. Yeah, I've, obviously there's a plan to it, and they've kept it for the most part pretty tight-lipped. And even like you said, uh, when Matt Campbell talked to us today, he didn't say right out this is who it's going to be. But again, um, it certainly it recently seemed like that's the way things are trending. Wide receiver is obviously the other one. You know, with Hakeem Butler gone, um, you lose Matt Eaton, even a few targets here and there from your running back, David Montgomery, last year. I think in total they lost 187 targets from last year's roster, 156 when you look just at receiver. The two guys are obviously Deshante Jones, Tariq Milton. We've talked about that a lot, but I think a few other guys have stepped up. When we talked to Campbell today, he went through seven different names. I don't know if they're going to go seven deep in terms of guys who actually have meaningful catches. Um, but reading between the lines again, who do you think maybe is three, four, and five? I have an idea, but – Interested to hear what you think. Yeah, a couple of the names you mentioned, I'll, I'll say three. The names you mentioned were LaMichael Petway, Darren Wilson, and Joseph Skates. And, and those are the kind of the guys, especially Skates, um, in the scrimmages that it sounds like have really showed up. And um, he talked, Campbell talked a little bit about Petway and Wilson and how uh, them getting here this summer, kind of like with this freshman class, a little bit um, is challenging. You got to come in and you got to adapt. You got to learn a new system, new guys, a new quarterback. So there's a little bit of a catching up period. And I think that's kind of maybe what they went through in the first week or so but really in the last couple he said it sounds like um, they've really come on strong and, and been guys that it sounds like are going to be heavy parts of the rotation and well, Michael Poway we know is a, a big body guy I think he's what 6'5", 220, 225, something like that. So he gives them that kind of piece of it. Darren Wilson, Matt Campbell at Big 12 Media Days had said that he was potentially the fastest wide receiver on the team. Um, so he gives you speed on the outside and a little bit different look coming in from Juco and then Joseph Skates um, there's been little snippets on social media of um, him making plays, whether it's been in practice or, or the scrimmages. And um, it, it sounds like uh, between his spring, his summer, and this preseason camp, he's been a guy that they've really been able to count on and rely on. So I think those three are probably pretty safe into the rotation with Jones and Milton. Um, and they all kind of give you some different body types too and different skills. So I think that's that's maybe the one thing in replacing Hakeem Butler is yeah, you didn't necessarily know exactly who who it was going to be or who those targets were going to go to, but they have a candidate pool that I think makes you feel confident that somebody is is going to be out there. And right now it sounds like those five maybe are some of the names that are getting talked about the most. Yeah, I don't know if they have a guy that they're going to throw to 108 times like they did with Butler, and I think the two years prior, I think they threw to Alan Lazard 100-plus times. So the last three years they've had a receiver that's had 100-plus targets. I don't know if they have that on this team but I think it's a deeper pool where they could have more guys that get medium-sized targets, so to speak. And so that's what's going to make this so interesting. And it's also probably not scary, but I think the uncertainty comes in that they only have two guys that are really for sure they know what they're going to have. And that's what Campbell said is until they go out there. Because that's always been the word with Joe Skates. I think he's finally coming into his own here in year two. It sounds like he's when he's on the field, he's kind of clearly just – more athletic than anybody else but they've always talked about the word consistency 
and it, it gets thrown around a lot where maybe it becomes cliche, but he can't go out there and make these incredible catches and then have these letdowns. And I think it's important for people to remember he's a redshirt freshman and this would be his first year on a college football field. Um, and so maybe not to put too many expectations on him, <clears throat> but if he lives up to his potential, he could be that high-level receiver. But it's, it's just, can he do that play-to-play? Um, and that's what they're kind of looking for. But I think Wilson and Petway are two guys that are really intriguing just because, like Campbell said, they've played a little bit at the college level, even if it's Juco in, in Wilson's case. Um, but I think another reminder for fans kind of, and this is different because Marchie Murdoch came so late, but you have to remember how long it even took Marchie to kind of just work into things because you've got to learn the playbook and, and grind through that stuff. Um, they're probably a little further along because they didn't come in as late. But it might not be you and I and all of a sudden Petway's you know, your number three receiver. It might take some time. And so that's what's, I think, going to be so interesting in this first month of the season is I think it's going to have to play out a little bit in the games. And that's where it, I think it will have to play out too. And there will be kind of a, a working in type of period. But I think that's where having a guy like Brock Purdy, a quarterback, where it's stable. Um, he's been the guy since, uh, you know, October of last year. So you kind of know um, – you, you know where he's coming from. He knows what he wants. He knows what to look for. He knows how to communicate. And he's getting those guys in place. But I think, um, yeah, th- there's probably going to be some sort of, of, you know, I don't want to say bumps in the road because that might not be fair. They might come in and, and be able to produce right away at, a, at the clip they want. But it is the consistency that it, ultimately that's what everybody's kind of chasing. And, and that's a little bit cliche at times too. But um, you want to be able to count on guys. And that's what, um, Nate Shieldhouse has said, that's what Matt Campbell said, that's what Tom Manning has said, that they want to be able to know if they need, you know, four yards on third down or if they're in the red zone, who can we trust to go to? That's that's ultimately what they're after is guys that they can trust. And Brock Purdy said the, that he was starting to find his guys, so to speak. He wouldn't come out and name them for us, but he was like, you know, I'm starting to find out who's making plays consistently. And um, I think someone said, you know, do you tell them that? And he's, I think you know some of these players just find out because the ball stops coming their way if they don't make those plays consistently. And it's important to know we won't go through it here because it's not really a battle. But the tight end position, probably the most intriguing position offensively, is going to help that receiver position a little bit because I think Chase Allen, Charlie Kohler, and Dylan Sainer are all going to be a lot more heavily involved. Last year, 25 target or 25 catches. That number could you know close to double this year if they really do step up. And so they're going to take some load off that and. Um, you know, the five guys you mentioned at receiver, you had in Landon Akers and Sean Shaw are six and seven. I mentioned that Campbell had mentioned seven names. Those are the seven at receiver that are vying for, you know, Brock Purdy's attention most. But then you got three tight ends that are going to. So you're looking at 10 pass catchers. They're not all going to, you know, have these crazy totals, but uh, it's what's going to maybe allow them to spread the ball around a lot more this year than they have in, in years past. Yeah, that's how you become more potent as an offense, especially if you're talking about running backs who are also kind of finding their way. The more options you have offensively, whether it's running the ball or whether it's getting it out in the passing game, it just you, you can help find your way a little bit and get into an offensive flow and find your rhythm and and just develop players more. It just it it gives it gives you more balance and creates more imbalance uh, for for the opposing defense. Obviously, so finding finding those different weapons and and how to use them, I think, is is probably intriguing and something that. Um, you know, it sounds like we'll see early and often this year. When I was jotting down a couple notes of just a couple positions I for sure wanted to touch on with you, um, I thought running back and receiver would be it, and then we'd move to defense. 
But uh, I think we have to talk about the offense because uh, here on, as camp winds down, Matt Campbell said the offensive line has six guys vying for the five starting spots. And so the last 11 games last year, they started the same five-man group. Four of those guys are seniors. Um, I think a lot of people said, okay, that's going to be the group that probably goes against Northern Iowa. Maybe it is. Um, but Trevor Downing is squarely in this mix, and uh, it wouldn't be shocking, I don't think, to probably anyone who's been hearing about Trevor Downing the last three, four weeks if he does end up being one of those five starters. He's been talked about for like 18 months and stuff. I mean, you go back to his recruitment and he was a guy, um, you know, you, you talk to different people and then if, if Iowa State could land this kid, uh, it would go a long way in help rebuilding that def- that offensive line and, and certainly in depth. And last year he was a guy that was talked about in fall camp that, um, you know, he probably wasn't going to have to get thrust into a role where he goes and plays more than four games. So they are able to preserve his red shirt and him coming in now. Um, ever since the Alamo Bowl was over, it was kind of Trevor Downing watch a little bit into when he would be able to come in and, and make a big impact on the offensive line. So uh, I I don't know if he will start game one. Um, it certainly seems like it's possible he could. Uh, I, I certainly think uh, – you know, there's there's a chance he could start if it's not you know the middle of the season by the end of the season I could see him starting. So at some point I I would think Trevor Downing will be on the offensive line and, the, and then it comes to the question what does that mean for the rest of the group? Does does he step in for Colin Olson? Does he step in at right guard for Josh Kniffel who then would move to right tackle? I mean there's a lot of different possibilities in terms of how the offensive line could get tinkered a little bit, but it sounds like in camp they've really been experimenting with moving guys around just to try to find that right combination in, in the best five because ultimately that's what they're after. Yeah, it's a good problem for them to have. You know, if, if Trevor Downing, a redshirt freshman, is pushing these seniors to potentially start. I mean, that's a good problem. It, it is worth noting that, you know, Campbell said he thinks they can go even deeper than six, obviously. I think Robert Hudson has started to make an impression on the interior. You've even got Sean Foster, who at least has seven starts under his belt. You know, he's played Big 12 games. Um, so I think this, this offensive line could be something like eight deep this year, and uh, that's led by potentially a redshirt freshman working his way into there. And we'll see what happens with Downing, but you mentioned the two ways that are most likely for him to start. Um, and if if he does take someone's job, that means your sixth man is a guy that started at least 11 games last year. So, uh, you know, it goes towards what they've been telling us, is, and that's that they think this is the best offense, the offensive line that they've uh, had at Iowa State. So uh, anything else on offense, or do you want to switch over to defense? Was there anything else that I missed? Yeah, those are probably uh, – the one thing I will say with the offense, it's kind of funny how – at times it feels like we've talked about Purdy a lot, but other times it's kind of just gone unnoticed a little bit. Like it, it, I, I don't think he came up until the end of Matt Campbell's presser today. Yeah, the, so. the, the two positions that it seems like we just ha- didn't really ask about were Purdy, unless we got quarterbacks coach, or defensive line. We got John Haycock, I think, and we didn't even ask him about the defensive line. And I think when you don't have those questions, it's because – they're solidified and those two positions are. So, I mean, if people want to know about those, but it's kind of maybe a little bit uh, of a relief that that's not what's dominating the preseason conversation. So um, not really anything I necessarily wanted to dive into deep, but just more of an observation that I thought was kind of interesting. So let's just switch over to the defense. And there's not a ton there, and that's because Iowa State returns so much up front. You look at their 3-3-5 stack defense, five of their front six, our returning starters. And so we're skipping the defensive line here, uh, just like I mentioned, and going right to linebacker, and that's the Sam linebacker spot. This is really interesting because it's, the, like I said, the one you know starter you replace. 
I think Willie Harvey really maybe didn't get the credit he was due until probably you look back at his career. You know, started all three years under Campbell. He's making plays right now for the Cleveland Browns. I think he's going to be missed, but I think these freshmen that they have have potential to be really good players. It's just, uh, I think Tyson Fight said, it just makes him a little bit nervous that they've never been under the lights, really. And those are Will McDonald and Chandler Pulvermacher, two completely different guys. Uh, but I think they're both going to play at Sam. I mean, do you, who do you think starts? Not to put you on the spot, but who do you think starts? And do you agree that they they're both going to play significant, regardless whoever starts? Yeah, I th- if if I had to pick right now who I think starts, I think it probably is Will McDonald, and he's at. I think he's listed on the depth chart as a starter right now, and and we'll get a new one on Monday, so we'll kind of. Um, I'm sure if I'm not on that, you'll dive deeper deeper into that. But I think the the thing that's so tough. I guess to pick up about the Sam is how much they're asked to do because that's where a lot of your versatility on your defense comes from. Um, you play the field, so you, you're uh, responsible for a lot more. You can cheat up a little bit and you know kind of disguise the de- defense. And well, one maybe- thing, one thing to add to that, John Haycock told me you're. He's, he actually asked it in a question for him to me. How many times did we play Willie Harvey in the box? Not much. You're not really in the box, and so you got to be athletic to make those plays so yeah you I mean you can disguise up like you're going to play in the box but you're in pass coverage you're in, in run stoppage a little bit if you're swinging to the outside and um you know for two redshirt freshmen to pick that up uh it, it takes time but it, from by all accounts it sounds like um it, it it feels like they're starting to have something there and uh, again I think we can talk about the linebackers as a whole in a minute but um it sounds like they could go six deep maybe seven deep depending on in certain matchups and stuff, but I think, uh, you know, Will McDonald and Chandler Pul- Pulvermacher, although it's a tough position to step into, it sounds like, um, you know, it's it's encouraging maybe what they've shown so far in camp. The depth is worth noting because I think if something goes awry, Will or uh, Jake Hummel supposedly practiced some at Sam. He kind of downplayed it, but Vite, Tyson Vite, the linebacker's coach, said he's been over there too. Um, actually, the, an interesting th- little thing, Nugget, you know, within one of the quotes from Matt Campbell here on the, you know, on the last day of fall camp or the second to last day of fall camp was, I think he brought up Orion Vance unprompted that he's been one of the guys that has made the biggest strides. And I think that's what's going to make that linebacker group so interesting is they can take out Mike Rose and put in Vance. They can take out Marcel Spears and put in Hummel. And they don't think there's a significant drop off. Um, That should help the guy who's playing Sam, whether it's Will McDonald or Chandler Pulvermacher. But uh, they always want to get to about six linebackers. I think they're there. It's just that Will McDonald and Chandler Pulvermacher haven't really played. They each played in four games last year. I think that's worth noting that they've been on the field. So it's not like against Northern Iowa or Iowa, you're throwing them out there and they've never, you know, been out there. Will McDonald had a strip sack last year against TCU. Chandler Pulvermacher played four games significantly on special teams, I think including the Alamo Bowl. So that's got to make them feel better. I think that's where that new redshirt rule really helps because – you're not putting a guy out there and he's never played college football. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they're getting thrown to the wolves. And that's where having so much continuity and stability around them with all three defensive line starters, plus Mike Rose and Marcel Spears all returning, is that there's a lot of sameness around them. So, yeah, there's going to be adjustments and, and a learning curve for those new guys that step in and are playing it's playing the Sam linebacker spot snap after snap. But there are guys around them that have played a ton of football, not just to mention – the four games that each of those guys played themselves, but there's there's just so much experience around them that I think it helps kind of catch them up a little bit quicker than um, than if they hadn't played or if there were three new linebacker starters. So let's round out the fall camp 
recap portion of the podcast, and that's the defensive backfield. Um, we don't have to go through it all. Really, there's two points of emphasis, you know, as, as Iowa State exits fall camp. One is a strong safety battle. That, I think, continues on into game week. they got to, you know, figure out who's starting there. Is it Braxton Lewis? Is it Justin Bickham? I think it's really between those, although technically on the depth chart that we got back in July, redshirt freshman Tory Spears is also on there. But I think it's probably the Rice transfer Bickham and 13-game starter from last year, Lewis, uh, battling there. And then cornerback depth, that's been something they've talked about a lot. Let's start at the safety, though. Uh, I kind of lean, I think, if it's close, I think they're going to go with the 13-game starter in Braxton Lewis. But I think Bickham's going to play an important role in that secondary regardless of who starts. Kind of like Sam. It's like you got two guys. It doesn't matter who starts because they're going to have to play them both throughout a game. It's almost like running back, too, if you want to go back to the offense a little bit. I think, um, yeah, it's noteworthy, I guess, who gets in there on the first rep. But I think it's going to be a thing where they'll they'll go and rotate them and, and they'll kind of maybe even feel that out a little bit. But I'd probably lean Braxton Lewis as well. Um, he was a guy that in, in the past in his career had learned all three safety spots and had really kind of settled in maybe to this one. And um, and has competed with obviously Bickham um, all through all through camp, but uh, obviously they brought Bickham in for a reason. They wanted to create depth. They thought he could help. So um, I think you'll see plenty of him. And um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see who it is in, who it is in the first game, not only at the start, but then kind of how they maybe work in both. Or is it situational? Is it um, kind of just going through who's who's you know played the best or whatever the case is? Um, but I think you will see both quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I think I side slightly with Lewis as a as the day one starter, mostly because I think Bickham's just getting so much thrown at him, and it sounds like he's watched a ton of film. He's a really smart guy, you know, coming from Rice, but I just think it, there's so much, and I think it, it's kind of like that graduate transfer thing you see in football. Sometimes it takes a few weeks for those graduate transfers to really feel comfortable. I don't know what what is the there's an old saying about like how long it takes. Uh, you know, say a redshirt freshman or someone to feel comfortable however many weeks into the season coaches like to throw out. I don't know how they come up with an arbitrary number. Yeah, um, there was something with JUCOs too, like however – That's JUCOs, maybe not. However many years you were in JUCO, it takes that many weeks or that or that many months or something to work out of it. So it, there's, there yeah. is a saying that you have – there's an adjustment period, obviously. So whatever coaches throw out there, it, it feels like that happens with grad transfers is I think people are like, okay, they're coming from college, they, they've done this. But it's like we talked about back with receivers – whether it's Darren Wilson or the Michael Petway, you got to learn completely new terminology, completely new playbook. And it could take a few weeks for Bickham. It wouldn't surprise me if Bickham's the guy at some point in the season, but it almost feels like I give the edge to Lewis because he started 13 games last year on a good defense and just his knowledge is, is really good. In fact, I think he's kind of teaching Bickham. So um, let's then touch on corner. Anthony Johnson and Daytron Young are the clear-cut starters. But uh, as cornerbacks coach Matt Capone said, they got to find a couple guys who can probably play 15 to 20 snaps when those guys need a break. Um, it's, it kind of goes back to Greg Eisworth. They said he played probably too many snaps last year. They need a guy who can come in and give him a few a few plays off. And so that's really the big question that is corner. I think actually that might be the biggest question on the defense because if, if Anthony Johnson or Daytron Young get hurt, which we saw Daytron Young did last year, is one of those guys capable of coming in and, and uh, covering you know, Tylen Wallace? at Oklahoma State or whoever that's probably the biggest question and uh, I think a couple guys did emerge though based on just these little nuggets that we can pull out from coaches 
Yeah, the names that we heard recently were Amici Walker, Javion Morton, and Tavon Kyle. And, and Amici especially, and, I think. And Amici especially. You, you go back to Big 12 media days, and um, you know Matt Campbell was even talking about him, and he's kind of, kind of had an interesting career. He started at New Hampshire, um, decided to leave and walk on at Iowa State, and got here as a receiver, I believe. And just you know, the last year or so, has transitioned into becoming a, a cornerback. And um, he's a redshirt senior now. Uh, got a scholarship this summer at the same time uh, Colin Olson and Braxton Lewis did. So uh, they obviously see something in him. They feel like they can trust him back there, and um, probably more so than even the redshirt freshman that I mentioned there. Um, he's the guy that's been brought up as depth, but. Uh, Kyle, Tavon Kyle and Javion Morton are kind of an in, intriguing prospects too because um, Daytron Young and Anthony Johnson are already so young, but then here's two more young guys that they're throwing in there too. So I think it just kind of speaks to um, how new that, that whole position room is uh, when you lose guys like Brian PV and, and DeAndre Payne. And I'll round that out by saying, and I don't know if he's going to play, but we've talked to Campbell, you know, three times, I think, since uh, Big 12 Media Days. And each time he somehow had to bring up, you know, freshmen or something. Kimani mm -hmm. King, he's brought up every single time. That's the only constant freshman other than Brees Hall that he's mentioned every single time. He's a true freshman corner. It's hard to say he's going to play. But because guys like Tavon Kyle and Javion Morton, they're talented, but they're also young. He's not that much younger than them in terms of experience. And so maybe he works his way into the mix too. And, and uh, they do feel like they have depth at corner. Like they got a lot of names. Uh, but if one of those guys gets hurt, it's going to be a situation where they're going to kind of get thrown to the fire and they – you know, got to prove it. Otherwise, they're going to be working their way through those different guys. It's kind of like what Campbell has said, too, about wide receiver. You can only speculate and see so much in practice, but you got to do it in a game. You got to be able to see what those reps look like against the team that you haven't been practicing against for however many weeks. So uh, that's kind of the unknown. And, and like you said, there are bodies that they can throw out there, but um, it comes down to who you can trust ultimately. So that's kind of a recap of what we learned here in fall camp. Fall camp began what? August 1st, we're talking here on August 23rd, so about three weeks. That's what we kind of learned in fall camp. It's funny that we talk about what we learned because we came into fall camp uh, with, I think, our biggest questions that we probably wrote about. Um, I don't know if you remember your five biggest questions or whatever that I think you wrote uh, for the Ames Tribune, but like Sam Linebacker, who's going to start? Uh, who's going to step up, up at receiver? Who's going to start at running back? Who's going to win that safety battle? Those were our big questions. Game week comes next week, and there's probably going to be oars at almost all those spots on the depth chart. So technically we didn't quote-unquote learn anything, but I think when you read between the lines when we're at interviews for 10 different coaches, you can kind of pick up how they're saying things, what they're saying. You can glean things from you know what's happening in some of these private scrimmages. And so maybe officially we won't learn anything, but I think we've kind of pieced things together, and hopefully people listening to this learn something because I think at all those positions we took a little bit out, maybe not as much as – as uh, we want, but, you know, as much as we can try to pull out. Yeah, I think there's just at least some names that started to, to trickle out with it. And that was kind of the thing is, yeah, we knew there were going to be questions and we knew some of the names, but I think there started to be more and more. And again, I don't know if that um, they feel 100% comfortable, like, you know, we're ready to roll. We know exactly what's happening because I think there will be a period of, of figuring things out. But I think there are maybe a few more names than they would have maybe even expected uh, before camp started that uh, can at least give them give a run and, and try to be the guy at whatever position you're talking about. So I wanted to round out the, the rest of this podcast, pose a few questions to you, and we just kind of 
kind of preview the season by looking at fall camp, but kind of preview the season in a different way. I won't put you on the spot, or I guess even myself on the spot. We won't go through and pick the games. I think I want to do that before the season, but I need to do more research. I think I don't want to just go out there and throw out a record or something. Um, but I guess before we get into some over-unders that we can talk about uh, for this season, uh, what are your biggest questions or the biggest question you think you, know, you have or you think maybe Iowa State has uh, going into game one? Yeah, I think the, my biggest question is, uh, can they get off to fast starts? Because that's kind of been the thing that has tripped them up the last couple of years for one reason or another. Um, in 2017, they started 2-2 two and two with that loss to Texas and then battled off you know, four straight and ended up being six and two before they had trouble at the end of the year. Last year, obviously, it's been talked about a million times, written about a million times. They started one and three, then won seven of their last eight. So if they can get off to a good start um, in non-conference, you know, three and oh, two and one, whatever the case is, it just helps kind of create some sort of foundation or establish some sort of rhythm as you get into Big 12 season because, um, you know, you jump right into it, the Big 12 schedule, you have a road trip to Baylor, which I think is going to be a game that we learn a lot about this Iowa State team in. And um, then then you have a couple home dates, you go on the road back to back weeks. So uh, I, I, starting off and finding a way to to hit the ground running at the beginning part of the year is is kind of my biggest question or, or what I'll be looking for, because that can help set a good tone or um, you know, just create a couple more hurdles if it goes sideways to, to try to overcome. Yeah, I had Eric Heft on a couple podcasts ago, and that was his thing is starting fast. Um, we talked about this, I think, off off the microphones, I guess, before. Not today, but I don't remember when it was. Probably just when you're standing around at these interviews. Campbell's, in his good seasons, his two good seasons, hasn't had the benefit of a 3-0 and start. That You know, I think Rhodes, when he went to the bowl game, started, what, 3-0, and right? And so Campbell hasn't had that benefit of taking that 3-0 and into then, you know, a conference that I think they're set up well to be up there. And, you know, when, when Rhodes started 3-0, and they still, they still, you know, had bowl seasons, but they kind of fizzled off in Big 12 play. This team, if they can start 3-0, and is set up to be 5-4, and 6-3, and you know, type of team at least in the Big 12. And that's how you have that special season that fans are clamoring for is you go 3-0 and and then you go at least 6-3 and and all of a sudden you're at – at a nine and three team. And so I think if they want to have that type of special season, they have to start fast. Um, and then I think they have to win the close games because I think as hyped as they are and as good as they can be, um, they're still probably going to play a lot of close games. And so I think sometimes good teams win close games and, and bad teams don't, you know, there's some luck involved to it, but they've got to win more than, I think Eric Heft even said it, more than 50% of those close games and you start to feel better. So those are two things. My biggest question probably is just what does this offense look like? Because uh, those tight ends I think are really, really intriguing. Um, but I have no idea what they're going to do outside of hearing rumblings that, you know, maybe they are good enough to do three tight ends, uh, more two tight end types, type sets. Um, but I don't even know if we'll find that out this week one. It might take a, a few games. And I think if, if you had David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler back this year, it would – would feel a little bit more like a continuation whereas this year because you're having to replace skill position players like that it doesn't necessarily feel like a reinvention but it feels like a like you are making or have the opportunity to make you know quite a few changes with it as you kind of find who your playmakers can be and so the tight end piece is certainly interesting 
who ends up being the top three, four, five receivers is interesting. Who ends up getting the bulk of carries at running back is, is going to be fascinating. So, yeah, I think there's there's a ton of questions. And, and like we've said and like Matt Campbell said, there only a lot of these are questions that can only be answered once you get into games. And we'll be able to write about it all week, too, because they won't be playing. So right. we'll have to find something to write about. Um, let's end here by going over some over-unders. I set some random lines. Um, on Cyclone Alert and went through them. I won't go through all of them. I'll skip the, especially the win ones. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, pose them to you. You can pick. I guess people can always listen back to this in four months and see and give if us, you're right or wrong and what I, if I'm right. Yeah, give us hell on Twitter or, you know, write angry emails, whatever the case is. So we'll go through them. Um, and that's how we'll kind of round up this podcast. And uh, if you're listening, feel free to tweet at Dylan Mons or at Alex Halstead and tell us where we're wrong before the season starts uh, okay the first one is who is Iowa State's leading rusher uh, this is obviously a prop bet and so the the options are Sheldon Crony, Kane Nwangu, Johnny Lang, Brees Hall, Jairo Brock and technically Brock Purdy would be one you could choose the field and say it's like Real Mitchell but uh, you're probably best if you pick one of those yeah I I'd be tempted almost to lean Brock Purdy, but I think it'll end up being Brees Hall because if he's the guy that I think is going to emerge as the feature back and, and ends up getting the bulk of those carries. So uh, how many that is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to say because I think there will be enough spread around that he's not going to be, a, you know, a 1,300-yard rusher. And I'm not saying that's impossible, but I, I'm not as likely seeing that. So but I think he will end up being a guy that gets uh, the most rushing yards. Yeah, if it ends up being Purdy, uh, it probably means two things. One, he probably ran, had a scramble too much, run too much. But two, you probably were really spread out because it'd be like the 2016 season where I think Joe Lanning, Mike Warren, and David Montgomery were all in the 500s. It'd have to be really spread out like that. I went with Brees Hall, too, just because there's so much buzz around him. Uh, but I think it could be a year where two guys are kind of split, and we'll get to that here with another over-under uh, in a in a minute, um, over under eight and a half sacks for Jaquan Bailey. He had seven and a half last year. The school record is eight and a half. Two guys uh, have done that in school history. Yeah, that's a really tough one, and I, I'm tempted to pick the over um, if guys can stay healthy. If uh, any Wazirike and Ray Lima all stay healthy, I think that that helps Jaquan Bailey's case in, in getting the over. Um, him being able to, to kind of start fast as well and, and just jump right in and not have any working in period is, is certainly going to help. But um, I think as there's a, as they kind of not re tinker with the defense or reinvent it, but if a guy like Will McDonald does emerge and, and kind of creates another uh, body to pay attention to, I think that, again, can open things up for Bailey. So I'll, I'll tend to lean the over, but that's a really tough one. Yeah, I took the over as well. Um, he's up just total every year. Last year was at seven and a half. Um, if he stays healthy, I think he has the potential to, to have nine sacks, which, like I said, would be a school record. And he's already tied with the career record, so it, he would obliterate that and probably hold that record for uh, quite some time. Uh, another prop bet, leading tackler. Uh, I gave uh, five options and then the field. So Greg Eisworth, Mike Rose, Marcel Spears, Lawrence White, Braxton Lewis, or the field, which would mean anybody on the defense not named you know one of those guys I think you'd love it to be Mike Rose but I think it's going to end up being Greg Greg Eisworth I think he's um you know he, he's him playing that um that star safety he's he's versatile you can kind of play him up in the box he obviously plays back in pass coverage so he kind of fits whatever scheme you want to go for so I think um having him 
be in the middle of kind of everything. I think um, I'd probably lean I'd lean, I'd lean that way. But uh, like I said, if Mike Rose could be the guy, um, that probably means good things for the defense. Yeah, I picked Eisworth too. I should note that I did these yesterday, so I'm now imposing them to you. So I'm not just agreeing uh, with you here. But uh, I went Eisworth. I didn't too. read. I didn't read it either. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't read. So I wanted to see if I could kind of match up or how we differ. Yeah. So Eisworth was the leading tackler last year. The second leading tackler last year was Willie Harvey. So my sneaky pick, and I didn't put him in there, which would be the field, uh, was uh, maybe like a Will McDonald. But uh, it's just that would be really hard, especially if you were actually making this bet. Uh, over under 40 and a half catches by Iowa State's tight ends. Last year they had 25 catches on 31 targets. Uh, but you're basically factoring in that Chase Allen didn't play a good chunk of the year and uh, Charlie Kohler didn't start playing until game six. So that has a lot of variables to it. Yeah, that's that was a tough one too. I'm probably going to lean under and that's just because of how many wide receivers there are too and, and you know opportunities for those guys to step in. So I think um, I think they could wind up right around that number, the 45, 46, 47, maybe 50 uh, type of catches between the three tight ends or however many tight ends they, they trot out there. But I think because of the just the sheer number of bodies that you talked about at wide receiver, um, there being maybe seven guys that could get out there. Uh, and then you throw in the three tight ends, so there's 10 guys that can catch passes. It, it, it'll be tough maybe to get, get up to that mark, but – you know, it, it wouldn't shock me, but I would probably take the under. Yeah, that one was a hard one for me to set. I took the over. It's 24 more catches than last year, so about two more catches per game. Uh, that's how I'm justifying it. So, you know, if um, Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen each have 20 catches, you leave a few for Dylan Saner, you're, you know, right up close to that. So um, that's I think that's the one that's probably the hardest for me, and it's one that I think most people are – most eager to see here in the first weeks. Um, I'm going to skip some of these. Um, this one was interesting, though. I think over under three and a half red shirts burned. So last year, I would say played 10 true freshmen, but only four of them burned the red shirt because you got to play five or more games um, to have that red shirt burn. You can play four and still take that red shirt. So last year, they burned three red shirts, or they burned four red shirts last year. So I set the line at three and a half this year. Um, this one's tough because Campbell today called it the best recruiting class he's brought in, but I think the depth makes it harder for those guys to play. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there for those guys. Right. I'm just trying to rack my brain to see which true freshman I think would burn. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Kamani King, I think he's a guy that could be in there. We well, start um, with Brees Hall for sure, probably. Brees Hall for sure. Um, DJ Miller was a guy that was mentioned a little bit as well. Um, you know, there's the Jirel Brock piece of it, too. Eric um, Horn at linebacker. You know, Horn. Last year they played all three linebackers on special teams a bit, but would they go over four? And that's where it gets hard is it used to be, you know, if they played, the red shirt's gone, so it's probably easier to maybe do this. But they could play ten guys four games, but if they don't go to five, then that number gets really tricky. And does one of the freshmen end up being, you know, play eight games on special teams or something? They don't got to play just like offense. Like Zach Peterson. Or like Zach Peterson. They don't have to play just offense or defense. Um you know, on the spot, I'd probably take the over just because I think there will be guys that emerge throughout the season that they'll want to reward by getting on the field. And I don't know if it, it'll happen and, you know, right away for some guys, but maybe a guy like Kamani King gets on special teams. But um, yeah, it's it's tough, but I'll, I'll take the over, I guess. I went under. And it was tough. Last year, I set it at three and I did push and it was four. So I was wrong. But it's just tough, and I think the depth 
the depth of this team makes it really hard to predict. I think it's going to be one for sure with Brees Hall. Kimani King seems to be trending in that direction, but yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, three more over under 25 and a half uh, touchdowns for Brock Purdy regular season only. So in 12 games, over under 25 and a half touchdowns. And that is that rushing and passing or just, just pass, passing? Just passing. I'll probably take the over because uh, how many did he have last year? 16? and it's 16 and basically nine full games. Yeah, so I think if you give him three more, I, I think you get there. And again, with how they've talked about spreading the ball around, I think um, Iowa State will be a tougher cover this year because you got to pay attention to the tight ends. you got to pay attention to the wide receiver sets. Um, Deshante Jones, I think he'll uh, be a guy that gets a ton of catches, but, you know, a lot of those happen kind of in the slot and kind of in traffic, but he can get loose for, you know, long passes. So I think, um, you know, when all is said and done, I would take the over in that just because of, you know, the number of guys they're going to be able to go to. I think it's going to be close. I took the under. Uh, last year, I think he averaged 1.8 touchdowns a game, touchdown passes a game. The main reason I took the under is I could see him rushing for some touchdowns, which then obviously brings that total down. Uh, the school record, though, is 20. He almost set the school record last year. If he would have got a couple more games, probably sets that record. So uh, that one's a tough one. Um, and then I guess we can end with this one. Uh, I said three more, but this would be a good one to end on. Over under 825 rushing yards for the leading rusher. So this one was really hard to set because I had no idea. I did some math and tried to figure out, you know, what it could be and uh, settled on 825. So over under whoever is the leading rusher, um, 825 yards. That is tough because I think early in the year it'll be spread around enough where it looks like they're going to have a ton of balance and guys are going to be, um, you know, be poised to have, you know, a few hundred rushing yards each potentially. But um, I think Brees Hall ends up being the guy, like I said, later on in the year. But I still think um, kind of with the working in period in the first few games, I don't think he gets there. So I'll take the under. I went over. Um, the way I came up with it is that, if you average what Montgomery did last year, 4.7 yards per carry, it would take roughly 175 carries. Uh, when you look at Matt Campbell's seasons from 2013, 14, and 15 at Toledo, when he did have two backs, the average was like 180 carries per back. So if the leading ball carrier on this team, whether it's Brees Hall or whoever, you know, has between 170 and 180 carries, and they're rushing at a good clip, uh, you know, 4.5 above, you know, they could be really close to that 825. So that's why I took the over. Um, I didn't just throw it out there. You really did do math. Yeah, I this. tried to figure that one out. Because, well, I had to set a line. And I was like, how do you set a line? Because, I mean, you can't base it off anything that Montgomery did. And so I went and looked at Toledo stuff, and I came up with 825. Last year I set the line for David Montgomery at 1,200 yards, and he finished with 1,216. So that was a good line, but I had some terrible lines last you year You need too. to put that in your Twitter bio. Yeah, I'm a... a Sometimes a good line setter. Uh, but that, that's it for the lines. Two things I wanted to throw out, and then we'll end. Predictions, first, first ball carry against Northern Iowa and first catch against Northern Iowa. Yeah, I think the first carry is going to go, and we're not talking about Purdy. Like, he can't. Yeah, we'll say not Purdy. First, like, ball carrier to I'd, rush. I'm going to say Johnny Lang for the first carry, and I'll say um, Deshante Jones for the first catch. Dang it, I, I agree, because I was going to say the same. I think Johnny Link probably starts as of now. Brees Hall wouldn't shock me. And then Deshante Jones, I could see them doing what they did against South Dakota State and throw him a screen pass right away. Yeah, hopefully ho hopefully for his case, that one won't get wiped from the board. Yeah, because that, yeah, that was a really good way to start last year. But the good news is that as of now, I think we're about 
eight days out as we're talking. I think it's uh, supposed to be sunny and like 72. So we're not going to be in the press box in 95 degree weather. And as of now, fingers crossed, no cancellations. So yeah, it'll be a, a much better way to start, and it, it'll give people uh, maybe a short morning to tailgate, but then they can hang out after after the game and and enjoy. Well, Dylan, thanks for taking some time. Uh, this will be the last time we sit in this room at Jack Trey Stadium not writing game stories. Uh, so it's finally football season. Uh, you can read Dylan at aimstrib.com uh, leading up to game week next week uh, or listen to his podcast as well, The Cyclone Slant. Um, anything else you want to pitch or are we good? Uh, I'm good. Uh, we have a football tab, our special section coming out in the Ames Tribune on Sunday. Uh, I have four um, pretty sizable stories, uh, one on the position group and three on individual players. So check that out if you're uh, in Ames or um, like like Alex said, visit amestrib.com. But uh, I'm ready to get rolling. It's, it's exciting. Is that on shelves the whole week or you know, if they're uh, here on Friday before the game? Yeah, it should be. You should be able to find it. Um, but yeah, Sunday for sure. And then throughout the week, there should be some some other places that you'll be able to grab it, a grocery store, convenience store, whatever the case is. Get it while you're getting your bush light for the tailgate next Saturday. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. I'll be back next week. Hope to have somebody from Northern Iowa on to help give you guys a closer glimpse at, at what the Panthers offer here in 2019. But uh, like I said, it's almost game week and uh, just ready to get this thing rolling.